As I said earlier, uh, usually the Sunday after Thanksgiving is the first Sunday of Advent, but uh, because the way the calendar falls, the last Sunday of Advent is on Christmas Eve this year. Uh, we get one extra Sunday uh, before Advent after Thanksgiving. And, and so we are continuing our study this morning, uh, really the last week of eight weeks in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13. Now for the past two weeks, and including this week, we are third week, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So let me invite you to find a Bible and turn with me to this chapter. Uh, it seems appropriate that we would take just a moment and review where we've been the last couple of weeks as we step into these final verses of the chapter today. So let's go back to verse 1. I'm going to read these verses again. It's a, a brief passage, but it's good to have these in our mind as we step into the last few verses. Beginning in verse 1, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have, I, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Let's pause there for a moment. Two weeks ago, we talked about the motivation of our deeds and really having love as the, as the, as the true motivation. And we can, in fact, accomplish great deeds, great acts of faith. But if we don't have love, Paul says, it's worthless. So what does love look like? What does true agape love look like? Verses 4 through 7 give us a description here. Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So we talked about this passage last week, what love is and what love is not. Now today we come to the final verses of this chapter. Paul continues his description of agape love. Let's read verses 8 through 13 in, in its entirety and then we're going to come back and look at these verses. So let me encourage you to leave your Bibles open as we come back to these verses. Beginning in verse 8, Paul writes, love never fails, but where there are prophecies they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I, or when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. But now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The first part of verse 8 is a very familiar phrase, love never fails. You've heard that before, right? Now, we have to remember that when the Bible was written, the, the chapters and the verse numbers were put in later. So there is sometimes argument as to whether this phrase, love never fails, be, belongs to the preceding section or if it belongs to the section in verse 8 that we're reading. Now, some scholars believe it belongs in the preceding section, uh, 
back in verse 7, it always protects, speaking of love, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. And some scholars believe it should have really been put in verse 7. In this way, it would be consistent with protecting, trusting, hoping, and persevering, and never failing. Other scholars believe it does belong in verse 8, and it should belong at the beginning of today's section because these spiritual gifts that Paul is talking about will pass away, but love will not pass away. As we read last week, John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And so God is love. God is eternal. God never passes away. God never fails. And in the same way, love never fails. Okay, so what is love, you might say? And what is love not? Now, if we remember the motivation for this letter, we know that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. They are struggling because some in Corinth have a particular spiritual gift and they are bragging about it. They're boasting about it. They're walking around with their noses in the air saying, look how spiritual I am. And they're diminishing others who don't have that same spiritual gift. So Paul, here in the middle of verse 8, turns his attention to spiritual gifts that one day will not exist. In other words, people are striving for these visible gifts, drawing attention to themselves. And in this context, Paul writes, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And we might say, love will not. Love never fails. And so it does belong there. We can't say that of the same. We can't say the same with these three gifts, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. And they're important gifts. Paul's not negating these gifts. In fact, he has discussed how they are essential to the health and the vitality of the church. But the reality is that they won't be around forever. Now, let's talk about this dynamic for a moment. Think about it. Jesus came. He came and lived, and he gathered a group of followers around him. He walked around for about three years, and then he gave his life for us on the cross. Following his death, he appeared to his disciples as well as others, proving that he rose from the dead, but also explaining how it all was working out. For about 40 days, he explained it all to his, to his disciples. But in time, he ascended, them, he ascended, leaving them to do kingdom work. And we read, we read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then... About 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, he ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit comes. He he empowers this group of followers to go and make disciples. And they do that. They go out throughout, throughout the whole Roman Empire establishing churches and people are coming to know Christ. They are living out this making disciples and we are still doing that today. But we know that we will not always live in this age. Did you notice what Jesus said, the very last part of that? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this age that we're in now will not always be here. We know that Jesus has promised to come back, to establish a kingdom that will be very different from this age that we live in now. And so Paul is painting a picture for the church in Corinth of what this new kingdom, this new age will look like. 
prophecies, tongues, and knowledge will no longer be necessary, Paul says. They will be still. They will cease to exist. They will pass away. Are you with me so far? But in the middle of all this, love never fails. So when will this happen, you might say? How will this transition to a new world begin? Begin. Paul paints a picture for us. Look at verses 9 through 10 here. He says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Now, look closely at these verses. You see that phrase, in part? He uses it three times in this chapter. What does in part mean? This phrase describes the for now only nature of these spiritual gifts. Now again, in Corinth people are puffed up with pride because they have these gifts. They think they're better than everybody else. And while the gifts of prophecy are important, they are limited in scope. In fact, Paul says, when completeness comes, all this temporary stuff will disappear. It will pass away. So how will this happen, we might ask. We don't have every detail as to where and when and how all of this will take place. In fact, we're told over and over again that we should be very careful with timelines about Jesus' return. Jesus actually said, but about the day or hour, no one knows. But Paul is comfortable giving us examples that can help us understand or envision how this will work out. Let's look at these two images this morning. The first image is that of childhood. Now, if you're paying attention to this sermon, you, you might be a bit older, at least not a child. So you can probably grasp what Paul is saying here. He says in verse 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now, let's think about that for a minute. Children speak in a particular way and often have limitations on how they can communicate. Perhaps vocabulary is limited. Maybe life experience is small. Reasoning and problem-solving skills are restricted. And this is normal, right, and understandable for children. But we all grow up, hopefully, right? And we put away childhood. For a chi- as a child, I don't know about you, but I used to play with Star Wars figurines. I used to pretend to be in the army by dressing up in my dad's army fatigues and running around in the woods. I played backyard football until the sun went down. I don't do those things anymore, right? Maybe some of us still do those things. But when I was a child, I did things that I don't do now. I lived life in a different sort of way. I I grew up and put childish ways behind me. I don't scream and cry when I'm not allowed to buy candy at the grocery store. I grew up. I put childish ways behind me. Times changed, my world changed, and I changed. Paul is using this reality to describe, to describe how it will be when Jesus returns. A second image that Paul uses is that of a mirror. In order to understand this verse, we have to understand mirrors in the first century. Now, today, our mirrors are quite advanced and offer an incredibly clear image, right? In fact, most of us probably stood in front of one this morning, right, on our, as we got ready for church. And if you get a magnifying mirror, you'll even see details in your face that you can't see with a naked eye, right? So mirrors are quite advanced today. But mirrors in Paul's day were made of shards of glass and offered an obscure image. 
that might, like, that might look a little bit more like looking in a lake or a pond. And so first century mirrors offered a fuzzy reflection. Nowhere close to face to face. So we have to understand that before we read this verse. In verse 12, Paul says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Again, a first century mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. I love these verses, verses 11 and 12. They point us to a coming age when all our questions will be answered. They point us to an age when we will fully understand God and all of his purposes. They paint a, pic, paint a future picture that is quite different from our present reality. These are great verses when we have a hard time making sense of our present world. Now, Paul's intention is not to describe this new age in the passage, but rather to point us to the fact that a new age is coming. A new age that will be as different as childhood and adulthood. The, the contrast between the present age and the age to come is like looking in a first century mirror and being face to face with someone. This age, Paul says, is in part, the new age will be complete. This age is limited. The new age will include a superior way of understanding, of reasoning, of interacting. This age is fuzzy. The new age will be crystal clear. This is Paul's point. So back to the church in Corinth. The church is in conflict. They've formed factions around particular leaders. Some are boasting about the visible gifts that they have and diminishing the others who have the more behind-the-scenes gifts. And Paul is pointing them toward a new world, a new kingdom, a new time and place that is beyond what they are currently experiencing. And he describes this new age in verse 13. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So much will be different then, Paul says. And so let's live today with a future in mind. Faith, hope, and love, he says, will not pass away. And we might make the case that faith and hope will be fulfilled in some way. I mean, I mean do you need faith when you're standing in front of God face to face, right? It's different when you can see. So faith, in a sense, will be fulfilled. Is there hope when you're already there, right? It's hard for us to think about that, but maybe hope is somehow fulfilled in some way. Gordon Fee puts it this way. He said, even though love continues in the present, along with its companions, faith and hope, love is the greatest of these three because it continues on into the final glory. So faith will move from unseen to seen. Hope will move from what is one day to what is now. But the greatest of these, he says, is love. So there's a sense... That love, as it is now, will be the same when it is complete. Why is it the greatest? Because by its very nature, it doesn't change. In the new age, the love of God will be at the center of our existence. John's vision recorded in Revelation that we've already read this morning uh, describes Jesus as the center of all things. Revelation 7 verse 17 says, For the Lamb is at the center of the throne. He will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The love of God will dry up tears. The love of God will be the center of our worship. And so let's learn today what it means to love one another. Because we're going to always be doing it. 
Let's love, love to learn, learn to love each other in this age because we're going to keep doing it in the age to come. Let me remind you what Jesus said to his followers in John chapter 13, verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How might God be speaking to us through his word today? God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 13. What a wonderful chapter that helps us understand what it is to love. May we continue to love as you have loved us. May we love each other as you have loved us. And may we be known as a people of love. Thank you, Jesus, for this day, and thank you for your word. Amen.